Second breath is your second. It's uh, the other one. The reason why I like it is because the Ren There's no bit of evil. They understand. Twenty-five years of Vampire: The Masquerade presents Deep Dive with Twenty-Five. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the first ever Twenty-Five Years of Vampire: The Masquerade presents Deep Dive with Twenty-Five. And in this series, Deep Dive is attempting to uh, take take a little patience, a little time going through the books instead of a, a quick once-over review, actually getting into the material uh, presented by, uh, well, us. Stuff that we've selected that we know fans are excited about. And boy, did we pick a hard one, DJ, off the bat uh, to kind of to kind of launch this ship. Uh, first, I want to thank you, DJ, for jumping on board for this Uh Say a couple words, because this is historic. If this goes bad, we will know, and I want you completely tied to the ship when it goes down. Um, so a couple of things, folks, that we're going to be speaking about is, if you already didn't know, the the, the bomb that we're going to jump on is going to be Kindred of the East um, by fan demand, by very, very popular demand. People wanted to hear our take on it, and that's exactly what you're getting. It's going to be our take. Um, to preface this, any of the information that we're going to be reviewing in this book is literally going to be from the perspective of the book. Right, because we want to give you the opportunity of well, how do I play with this material? You know, while there might be certain things that we may or may not agree on, you'll definitely hear from us as we start reading it and how we would probably change certain things or take a look at it and give you our honest opinion um, about how we we feel we're going to move forward with this book. But just want to give that disclaimer out there, so in case folks are wondering about it. And of course, as always, feel free to reach out to us at the end of the podcast or at any given moment. Um, join us in our Discord, send us questions and stuff. Like that we'll be more than happy to answer them. In addition to this, I wanted to add to the fact that uh, guys understanding this book, Kindred of the East, uh, this is about the Eastern vampire culture uh, and what they call themselves as vampires. I mean, this book very much says they're the vampires of the East, but are they really? That's a big question I have after using the material and reading it and understanding it a little bit. And we're going to go through it again to see if maybe I missed a ship and there was something that we, you know, maybe, maybe everyone did. Uh, But I want to add something. I want to talk about fiction for a minute. When someone decides to make something that is fictional, fictitious, it's made up, no matter where they get their inspiration from, you must understand that it's all make-believe. It is It is made up. Nothing in here is supposed to be a hard-driven truth that you take to heart and anything, any, any other such uh, nice, well, flights of fancy. Let's say that. It's okay to be passionate about what you like, and we encourage that. But we also encourage you to have an opinion. In fact, that's what opinions are for, is that it, you take it some type of way, and it's good to let people know, it's good to let authors know, and it's definitely good for you to howl about the product or rave in a good way. Um, so that being said, I want to address some of that, that, that hard push against this I've heard going around. Number one, we were told directly that this is an offensive book to the Eastern culture. Um, however, DJ, how do you feel about that? Well, being part Asian myself, I, as a gamer, first and foremost, I completely take it as a work of fiction. I know that the authors are taking it from their perspective of inspiration, um, but I don't feel any which way about it because of the point we also take a look at it is um, much in the same way we take a look at the Abrahamic uh, the religious culture of it. There's not many people that even harp upon the whole Cain and Abel creation story, right? But we all accept it for the most part as part of canon, part of the fiction that they take out of, of especially when it comes to Vampire the Masquerade. And in that same way where we're just looking at it as a work of fiction, as how they're drawing inspiration from certain pieces, um, we're treating it the exact same way too. There are influences of Easter culture. Uh, there are certain ways that we that might be portrayed in or out of the situation. But once again, 
game, the book, the data that we're reviewing is going to be objective here. And I agree. I think uh, I think a challenge that offensive material, uh, if only to say that on the side of the entertainers, they're just trying to get a rise uh, for you to get an attachment or a fascination with where they were inspired from. Now, being inspired by a culture is easy. I think the whole world, I know the whole world's been inspired by uh, the samurai, uh, ninjutsu, martial arts, um, Eastern philosophy and mysticism, tea ceremonies, the culture they have, the pride uh, of a nation that comes out of places like Japan and China, and, uh, and, and even more, right? Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of doubt in the fact that people think the East is just Japan and China and you can throw the rest away. It's not true at all. Uh, much more in that area. Uh, than, than all that, but they're the most popular that you hear about. However, when it gets to the matter of supernatural, that is a daunting challenge. There is a lot in the occult that comes out of the East. There's a ton, because the occult to America tends to be satanic, right? I think that's the thing that we just need to get to the heart of. We're pretty basic here. If it's if it's dark and evil, it's satanic, and then there's good guys to oppose it. And so, and even the horror films kind of set that up to be the same thing. You know, once upon a time, werewolves and vampires were all considered demonic and on the side of evil, easily defeated by the cross of Christ. However, when you get to the east, eastern side of things, where religion is not just one, you know, there are many, and uh, the philosophies that you get into as well, there are different creatures that are in, that are in those imaginations and in those faiths and beliefs that also have to be taken in consideration. And so, I say all that because you hear us go through this book, take it with a grain of salt. Pump the brakes a little bit. Realize that what they're trying to do is entertain you in a different type of creature in the Kwai Jin, or the uh, Kindred of the East. A different type of culture that some, in heavily inspired, but definitely not exact, as you would expect. Because, of course, there was no court of vampires in Japan, ever, right? There is no court hidden in uh, Tibetan Taoist cannibalistic monster vampire people that exist in uh, Tibet, right? We <laughs> Hopefully you know that. Hopefully. <laughs> And so we're going to stop with the prattling and the, and the defenses here. We're just saying that so we could focus on just the book. And where this starts at, and I like, I like how it does this, it immediately dives into kind of an intro, right? It says, for thousands of years, the kindred have ravaged the world of darkness. And by kindred, they're referring to Western kindred. Mm-hmm. It says, claiming descent from the first murderer, Cain, these parasites, directly call them parasites, have riddled old and new world alike. The children of Cain influence, subvert, and pervert the highest echelons of mortal government, e- economics, culture. Nothing, they claim, escapes their corrupting touch. But they are wrong. So off the bat, the first paragraph, this book quickly tells you that the kindred you're used to are beneath the kindred of the East mentality. And so off the bat, we have the first point of contention for fans. I know it. This this is a fact. This is more than been said to it. You can tell by the purchasing of this book. A lot of people kind of went this direction because we love the Kane mythology. We love the Sabbat Cam and Anarchs and all that. And that mix in it. A different type of vampire. You dare challenge mine, right? That's that's what a lot of this is like. And that first paragraph doesn't disappoint. Right, to kind of keep that haughtiness. But this is where it gets interesting, too. If you read further, right, they tell you one Rome eludes their clutches, and this is referring to the kindred still, the ancient land of Asia. Although Asia offers unthinkable riches and oceans of blood, kindred who come here do so fearfully. 
since the Knights of the Galleons, and that's the Galleons is in ships, you know, pirates and whatnot, Western vampires' attempts to exploit this land have met with dismal and horrific failure. And that's interesting. It's why have they failed. If they're so dominant, so powerful, and, and most definitely we know that the, uh, the uh, Oriental culture, I shouldn't even say that, uh, Asian culture, I should say, it's a better word, um, is older, at least documented-wise, far older um, than a lot of Western belief. So this is where this book kind of picks up and tells you, okay, you're not in Kansas anymore. You're going you're gonna to have an education here. You're going to have to learn your world of darkness again from this side of the world. And that's perfectly okay. Uh, so since we know what this isn't going to be, uh, DJ, let's start with what the Kindred of the East is when it refers to the Middle Kingdom itself. So when it refers to the Middle Kingdom itself, it, it designates it as the landmass for the most part of that, which is considered Asia. Now, in terms of why they view it as the Middle Kingdom is because, once again, it's perspective. It's, it's the exact same way of saying, like, you know, the Garu nation of a certain degree, right? So for them, the Middle Kingdom is all this land that encompasses in the inside. Moreover, it's pretty much anything that the Quasian uh, would hold as their own or have dominion over. Or not even that, because, once again, since we're only reviewing this book, we're not even speaking about what Shenar. Um, and it does explain what Shenar further in, which essentially is Chinese um, for, like, God, Spirit, or Deity. Um, and it speaks about how these supernaturals kind of exist within this environment it also speaks and, and it throws it out there automatically that the culture is completely different than what we normally have here in terms of either hiding yourself from mortal prying eyes it's almost anticipated that mortals understand that certain things happen right and we've also seen this before when we take a look at the carpathians where we obviously know like some zmitzi lord out there is, is going to take his tie to a certain degree imagine a whole nation for the most part that is so steeped in religious aspects of it and understanding what their folklore is to understand that if they do end up coming across such things it's just accepted it's like oh you know preacher came out of nowhere and it's like well you should have been walking out at night because you knew what was going to happen at that point <laughs> you shouldn't have been walking through the graveyard you shouldn't have spilled that your ancestors would probably look low upon that or why do we do this well here's the reason why and they kind of just give you that disclaimer because as you start moving forward with this book you'll start to understand why it is of importance not only politically not only culturally as well as geographically but it does make an impact very very subtle but don't miss that point so i think what you're saying is and i'm not, and I'm not to downplay but the the short short version is that they are more etiquette bound and driven there's a there's an honor here the shen uh, support is in the supernals the supernaturals of the region we'll call them mm -hmm. shen because that's what they refer to them all as is that the the shen um, understand there are vampires in the cities and the shanty towns that are going to be hunting and feeding and doing what they do, but also in the jungles and in the forests and the mountains, they're going to be those, uh, shape changers, the Henge Yokai or the, uh, shape changers of the East. They're out there too and exist. The Fae exist. There are most definitely ghosts. Ancestor worship is huge and honoring the dead in the ancient ways must be upheld. These are not a people who decided, uh, to, to make a quick buck on the alleged stories of old, they believe quite a bit of this and uphold it as a sense of duty. And more than that, it's it's a belief, right? That's what they are. But what benefit of this is and where you have to pay attention is that unlike the Western kindred that need a masquerading force to be that straight to the point and avoid hunters and whatnot, in the East, it's as if they expect it. Meaning that they're, like, just like you said, you went out at night where you shouldn't have, and you got attacked by a hungry ghost? Well, of course you did. Next time, you say a prayer at the shrine like you're supposed to, elicit the protection, and don't be out there past a certain point. 
That's that's what you were always told since you were a kid. Why did you change what you did? And so the respect point is hit where if you honor and respect the old ways that you know you were taught, then you avoid that stuff. But if it happens to you, that's the consequence you were warned of. No one's flipping out about it. You know, it is saddened if someone died or worse, but the simple fact is you could have avoided it. And there's a level of politeness there uh, that I like to point out. A level of etiquette, maybe, perhaps, is a better term. Where, you know, etiquette dictates everything uh, that they do. And, and the culture, of course, enforces that. Now, that's not to say there's, you know, the Eastern kindred is super uptight or that culture is. It's just that they have traditions. And they respect them. They're a part of their life. They also have pop culture as well. Of course they do. You know, they live it up as well. And uh, that's there, but the focus of this book is necessarily on, well, the ancient traditions, because we're dealing with immortals. And that's, that's something to pay attention to very, very closely. Now, if we know there's a lesser masquerade, we also know that there is a, well, an uptick. There's less forgiveness for those creatures who become rude. Save, suffice it to say, you're not going to find that Bruja who tells the prince off and then decides to go wage war in half the city. He's not going to make it. Right, let's point this out. And not, and not just because the vampires said die. Think about it. If uh, we hold a spot in Japan, and uh, we'll say it's a nice province, and because uh, I can't think of one at the top of my head, but it's one close to Tokyo, but not quite. And uh, while, while here, we have a sizable percentage, or a mix, I'd say. There's a few Western vampires, but the majority are, of course, uh, excuse me, a mix of the uh, kindred of the East. Now, while they're there at court, let's say some random Western... A uh, vampire decides to get out of pocket and is very rude. You can expect, no, I would say you can almost predict that making that statement at court and assuming that everybody there is a vampire would be a Western mentality. Because after all, you're the, you're the ruler here, you're a kindred to the East, as I'm told. You must be, they must all be vampires because that's how we hold court. You would be shocked to learn that there were other Shen there who saw your behavior. Maybe one of them hunts you down without seeking permission from the ruler, just because your rudeness has demanded it. That's, that's a potential. And that's just, a, that's just a sample of how that politic can work out. You know, that's a delicate balance. You, you get the idea. I don't want to sit there and harp on Shen or not, but uh, the point is, that is the entirety of this book, is knowing nuance of culture, the difference of what you could have done to what you have to pay attention to what you're doing when visiting someone else's home. And living up to that, they say something about the Middle Kingdom too, DJ, that I was curious about. And I wanted your take on it. When they mentioned the yin and yang world. It's, um, it's a distinction here, if only because, once again, this book is being pre presented to the Western culture. And what's going to make it different from the books that we've currently read before to now? They, they mention what the yins are, which are pretty much the, the land of death, that which is static, sorrow, and such. And they relate it almost, and you could almost beyond read into it from the heavy-handed hints, that it relates to the Shadowlands. And from the Yan, where the, the spirits roam, where there's energy moving forth, you could almost relate that to the Umbra. And you wouldn't be wrong for doing so. It's written in such a way that it presents it, especially because, as we know, other supernaturals, the other shapeshifters, the Henga Yokai, who do exist in there, travel between such lands. But the what makes it important to Kindred of the East, of course, is going to be revealed later, but I'll go ahead and spoil it now. They are both, they're undead, but they, they walk between two worlds. They're living in the undead. That being the case, they do have relations to the yin world and the yang lands and such. Um, but that was that that definitely is worth noting in there. Um, and you'll start seeing how it comes into play because being a creature of two worlds means it puts you in such a unique situation to be able to interact with both. 
so for us, that means that the the in world um, is is actually the world of the dead, the underworld. That's as we would refer to it. The fans of Wraith. Am I right on that? And what you're saying? Most definitely. Okay, then the Yang world would be that's where the Fae and the werewolves go. That would be the Umbra. Definitely. All right. So since we got those two distinctions down, already we're dealing with a different type of creature, right? Because that dual that dual uh, spirituality meets supernal. Or to say physical meets uh, spirituality, and it actually being a thing like werewolf is, you want to call them a werewolf, right? You want to call them not not a vampire. Vampires can't sidestep. That's that's a big thing. Western vampires don't. That's that's no curse that you ever heard out of Cain. So it doesn't make sense. But yet they're they're the kindred of the east or children of both. And keep that in mind. There's other differences other than just this. But that right there is intriguing in and of itself. Also, confusing. I know for a fact that was confusing for me the first couple times to think about it, where it comes from and why that is. But hold off on the fact of... Remember my theory. I do not believe that these guys are vampires. I believe that's like a label they were given uh, based on how they can feed and recoup energy, which we'll get to. Um, but I, 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 this right here is a big point of why I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a... No, you're right. Because uh, I felt the exact same way the first time I read the book. When I first picked up this source book many, many years ago, I was like, oh, it says vampire source book, Kindred of the East. And maybe perhaps it's in the nomenclature of what we're used to. You mentioned Kindred. You, you mentioned vampire of any way, way, shape, or form. We're automatically brought back over to Masquerade. We we, we just assume that Western mentality. Um, but walking into this and you know reading it now, you see why this preface is here. It has to ease you into understanding exactly the world you're walking into. And these creatures are definitely not Western vampires in any way, shape, or form. Um, up to and including how they mention, you know, one of the things, the Wheel of Ages. Uh, in Eastern culture, most things are cyclical. They're not linear. And so they're talking about how the wheel is moving forward. Specifically here, it's only really mentioning what they exist with uh, within what is currently known as the Fifth Age, um, which is where most of the game setting at this moment in time takes place. There's always turmoil there. They're coming to a head. They're looming over this particular situation. So the fifth age for them um, in this great spoke wheel that just continues to spin is the age of darkness. And what they're looking forward to as, of course, all games uh, during this period in time are looking towards their apocalypse, their get-head and such, happens to be their sixth age, which is the age of sorrow. And this is where they will see a catharsis being built up and what role these creatures have to play in that. Um, and automatically it changes the perspective because when you take a look at the other lines, such as the Apocalypse uh, and or, you know, Gehenna being a thing, it, it's met with impending doom. It's met with we are trying to prevent this from happening. We, we don't want this to, to happen because this is our last fight. This is our last stand. For these creatures, they're preparing for this to happen. They're, they're in the step of doing so. Um, it doesn't mention it just yet as to why in the book, outside of the fact that this is what they're anticipating. Right, it's like oh, it's almost like Christmas, just a very, very dark Christmas of sorts. But it's right. like it's coming, or like a New Year's, right? And you're like, well, it's it's gonna happen no matter what, and it's all in the preparation of. So automatically, that changes the perspective of then why are you playing? What's the motivating factor for you to come into? And knowing that you're not trying to prevent anything as much as it is that you're trying to prepare for this next age is a, is a different step altogether. And what what is weird? I only say it's weird because it's you're not used to it. When you mm -hmm. hear of this cyclical wheel of ages. And they talk about the end. They talk about the August personage of Jade, right? It's almost, it's a God figure of purity. And it basically August personage of Jade determines all the, 
uh, all the good and virtuous things that are there and justice and, and all that. But then there's also a demon emperor. And a demon emperor rules there, well, there are 10,000 hells, right? And that what, literally what it is, it's, it's the bad places. What's weird is that when this age comes, it's supposed to be because the demon emperor gets to reign for like a thousand years. Right? That's the cycle. That the good get up here, but then the bad get up here. And by get up, meaning they rule everything. And that's what folks are preparing for. Strangely, and assuming DJ, by, by, by no means take what I'm saying as gospel. I read the same thing you did. That's how I understand it. If I'm getting it wrong, please correct me. Of course not. This is uh, this is where we get to actually talk about it, right? That's why you're listening to us, because this is where we deep dive. Ah, that's not how I did that. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> but, <laughs> but seeing as it is, if you take this wheel and look at it in a different way, um, the way we understand Apocalypse, or the world's understanding of the vampires of Gehenna, it's a new beginning. Right? That's where uh, that's where Armageddon comes from, or, or, or Megiddo. It's, it's a place of new beginning. It's supposed to be where the world starts anew again. And the idea of a cycle isn't new. It's, it's something that's been around almost since the dawn of time. We've always felt things come in, in ages. And where do we get it from? I'm almost positive. As human beings, we get it from the changing of the seasons. And that if there's an end, there's a beginning, you know, birth and death. It's, it's a fascination and we can't escape this wheel. That's just what it is. And because of it, this book defines it in such a way as to make it unique, interesting. It ties enough of uh, the philosophies you heard of to it to, to hold your interest. So when you're looking these things up, you can get correlations. And that's, of course, to listen understanding, and more importantly, so you could speak to it. And it not be the same material as that of the Masquerade, which I, I like. The Wheel of Ages kind of sets that on its head, right? Just like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, but here's where I'm going to throw you for a loop. Now we're going to talk about Chi. Right? And, I'm, and I know what you're thinking. You mean like Chi, like, uh, like uh, Street Fighter? And, you know, I'm throwing fireballs suddenly, and I'm all, well, Yes. Yes, it's, it's a concept that when I walked into it and read about this in this game, I said to myself, you mean I'm going to be doing out here getting the glow, like Barry Gordy from The Last Dragon? I need to <laughs> learn how to tap into my chi to accomplish some things. And it's more sinister than that. A DJ, what would you consider chi here? How, how do they explain chi is to us? So the way that they explain chi um, and why it's important to this particular setting is because it is the currency of the land. Now... I have to state that for gaming purposes and, you know, taking away certain spirituality of what chi is or isn't, this is where we're going to step in and go, chi as it's being presented in this book is the currency of the land. It is the battery in which most, if not all, of any Eastern setting um, supernatural has to deal with. The These kindred of the East, your Shen, your, or rather any Shen of sorts, um, fuels it. And why it's important is because this is exactly the reason why they end up having wars, the reason they battle over everything, the reason they keep themselves um, up and operating. And so the way that they explain it is exactly that. It's a matter that every type of chi that exists exists within its own harmony. They try to, to explain it in such a way that it's um, covescent to like the yin and yang and why it exists. Once again, in terms of how it's being presented, I must state that it is being literally brought in here to kind of drive home a point that this is what your 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 setting is, is working off of. This is the currency of the land in terms of how it mystically presents itself. Could be a little bit different, but the way that I read it and just to bring it back home, it's just the currency of the land. And that's why the importance is in there. Bob, do you have any thoughts on that? I do. When I when I look at Chi, the one of the ways I think of it um that captured me is when it talks about um, that the Divine Ebon Dragon, the Scarlet Queen, 
who I do not know what these things are. I want you to know that. I just took them as holy beings, right? Mm -hmm. Because when I hear of the divine ebon dragon, I think of death. I think of yin energy. And when I think of the scarlet queen, scarlet reminds me of red, reminds me of life. Vibrancy or blood is the life. And and when I think of queen, I think of women. When I think of women, I think of the, uh, the strength of life, that which without we cannot have life. And so a form of creation, I think of yang energy. And so that's how I related it. And when I sat there and said to myself, okay, but then it gets into saying that even in the fifth age, energies of creation permeate the world. And right there, I said, okay, I get it. What it is saying is the reason mortals move is because they have chi. Whether it is good or bad, they fluctuate, and this is what gives them their life. And of all the 10,000 things as they refer to, which is all the living things, they all have chi. And because of it, chi can only be one of two things. And it's, it's either yin or yang. And, of course, you can be in balance or in harmony, and that's the goal. And then there's imbalance, and that's later. But once you get behind that and you, you stop thinking it's uh, it's going to allow you to do that Shoryuken in Street Fighter, then you're starting to understand, okay, so basically how Street Fighter hooked you was just like a throw fireballs and spew fire and do these outrageous things because I have chi. You're correct. It's because they're so in tune with this life-giving energy that they have an overabundance that they know how to tap into and enable them to exceed what their current ma- what, what the common maximums would be for a normal non-chi using person is. So when you think of that, you can almost think, oh, here's an easier way. Bruce Lee taps into chi. Mike Tyson taps into chi. Muhammad Ali tapped into chi. Any athlete you want to say it's above and beyond and got famous doing something that no one else seemingly could do, and that was their thing, arguably, we could say in another way, okay, they must have found a way to tap into their chi. And by no means are they special because of it. They just learned a way for them. I guarantee you the secret was hard work, right? And we know that. And in this book, it doesn't say any different. To, to pull chi, to call on chi, there's a lot of meditative techniques, a lot of willpower and discipline to get to there. That's That's a routine. That's not simply a term used to just say you're powered up. And you have to understand that complex term of chi to truly move forward. Because if that's tripping you up, the rest of this book's going to trip you up for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, they also talk about that, now that we understand chi, here's where the horrific part kicks in. There is one type of shen, remember shen being the term for supernatural creature, in the East that cannot make chi of its own. It must sustain itself by stealing the chi of other creatures, just like a vampire steals blood. And that creature is known by many names... However, Cathayan is, is what uh, the Europeans' ancient name for China. That's what they refer to him as, Kindred of the East, in other words. The actual vampires is book, the Kwai Jin. They do not make chi of their own. That's baffling. Because they, they, right here they say they're like a vampire steals blood, except, no, a, a vampire Western absolutely needs blood. And you can argue, though, is blood not the life? Is that not filled with chi? Certainly. Certainly. And that's where things become interesting, right? It's almost as if if you were a Western Kindred fan and you start reading this book, you missed a ship and welcome to advanced class where they're telling you what they're really doing and why they're locked in like a cast that the Western vampires stay in, whereas the Kindred of the East, they're moving on because that's what they get to do. It feels that way when you read this book, but is it? We'll leave that up to you. Now, there's something to point out here too. Um, Cathayan is a, is a descriptive, right? It's a utilitarian name like Cappadocian or Sedite, meaning it's just uh, just a term, right? It's a term they assign to it. And uh, that's, 
That's it. So don't try to dig too deep into it. That's just, just what they use. However, when we think of Kwai Jin, um, DJ, what's your take on it? So my take on the Kwai Jin, just to kind of put it in there, it's this is where we also have a point of contention because, once again, we're trying to cover almost a huge landmass and, and culture in here. It's, it's a combination of two words. It's part Mandarin for what may or may not be ghost, and it's also part Japanese for what may or may not be person. So it's like kind of their unifying word of kind of putting and mishmashing things together. Ultimately, though, what is a Kwai Jin? Um, it more closely resembles the Western concept of what a risen is because it's literally the spirit re-inhabiting itself, its body coming back from something. It's a dead mortal who has the opportunity to fulfill a karmic responsibility. Wait a second. That's, that's, whoa, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on, right there, because I, I like that. Um, can you explain that a little bit? Karmic responsibility. I was about to say, they have something left to fulfill. This is our, our Western culture of, like, leaving things. This is the reason why some rates still have, come into play, which essentially is they left their, they left things unresolved. Or... More importantly, perhaps it's not their time yet. Your destiny leads them elsewhere. Now we have to start getting into that. Your destiny? Well, what do you mean by your destiny? Well, right. There, there's different ways of taking a look at it. Uh, one of them could be, was there something that was taken away from you? Was there something you were already reaching out to and you just didn't get it? Was there something that you were already on track for, but your ancestors and or gods otherwise thought that you should have remained behind? These are all interpretive ways of taking a look at what is the driving force behind what brings you back? Well, in, in this particular book, it tells you there's a karmic responsibility you still have to fulfill. Um, you know, and it goes through the process of the second breath, which we'll speak about very shortly in terms of like how you come back or why you well, come back. Well, before you dig that forward, let's let's make sure we catch everybody up. So already, what are the differences here? There is no Cain. There's no Cain origin or they are not Cainites. They're not descendants of, of Cain. They have nothing to do with that. In mm -hmm. fact, much like he said, risen, a wraith term, what a risen is, is a vengeful spirit. It's a ghost that finds their way back to their own body, which serves as a permanent anchor, allowing them to use their body to fulfill what they stayed behind to do. Right? That's the point of a wraith, is that you had unfinished business. Well, when you're arisen, let's just call you a motivated wraith back in your body to see it done, whether that's vengeance, love, or protecting someone, you're, you're back to see it through. And so, all right, but they're not quite risen, though, as well. Asian vampires are spirits of dead mortals, Right, we got that just like you said, but they don't have to be embraced, not at all. They 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 simply die, and something in that death determines them coming back. And what's interesting, it's called the second breath, DJ. What is that? Second breath is your second chance back. It's 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 the process of, of coming back to your body. Um, the short version of it, and we'll go more into detail. Essentially, is you you get separated, your soul splits in two. One part of it stays around lingering around your body at one point or another. The other part, which is your your other half, ends up in the 10,000 hells, the Yomi lands, the, the, the forever, the, the place we do not want to speak about. And hmm. um, once it crawls itself back out of there, if it has the power to do so, it may attempt to unite back to its other portion of soul, get back into its body. But that side of it gets eaten by other spirits along the way, because obviously there's a hierarchy. But only the, only the strongest of the strong could end up coming back. And that's pretty interesting. And like I said, we'll, we'll go into that a little bit further deep. Um, one thing I also do want to point out is this is the perfect opportunity when they're describing Quajin in this book as of right now is vampire is now just a word because we've determined that they cannot generate their own chi and they have to take it, right? We, we, we could 
so should accept psychic vampires or any other type of vampire or a parasite of sorts. So once we get that out the way, now we could start walking away from what separates most Western kindred or vampires away from this being that is also a parasite of sorts. And, and this is like the defining factor that we're taking a look at there. And what I like about this is that the um, these vampires do not use the name, uh, as they say, the barbarians have given them. Right. And of course, the kindred of the East referred to the West as barbarians. Uh, they call themselves many things, the most widespread being Wan Kwai, or the 10,000 demons. I love this, right? It's uh, The other, other reason why I like it is because the Guai Ren is demon people. They understand that where they come from is not a nice place. Right? Bottom line. That when they undergo the second death process, it goes to describe that you can be infused with yin, yin energy when you die, that negative death energy. And when you come back, you're a shambling thing. Right, at least for a time, until you're able to fulfill that uh, that chi balance or get enough of it back in you to kind of wake you back up to sort of being on a normal, even keel. The same holds to a yang vampire. There's no good and evil in this scale, right? Because yang is life energy, yin is death energy. For all we know, the death energy could be you were a morose, depressive person. And uh, just because it's that stage in your life, perhaps there was a funeral and it was too much or an accident happened and just you had unfinished business, but you come back to that painful body that's cold, doesn't have pumping blood, the putrefaction is kind of set in, and you're almost like a samedi or a zombie uh, when you come back until you get enough chi to balance you out and correct what's happening to you. However, a yang vampire coming back in this um, would be almost even more horrific. Right? That blood's still flowing. It's still there. They might be uh, overkeyed or psyched or just ferocious, meaning too passionate, uh, too much energy, human flesh that works, but something altogether. Right? Definitely not normal. Keyed up or emotional, that would be terrifying. You know, something, it would take a bit to get that back too. But they also describe that as like when you get that second breath, you're not necessarily in control, right? You're no, definitely not. You're, you're scrambling for that energy and think about it this way, whether you're yang or yang, or even if you're balanced and you're lucky to be balanced coming back, you still need that chi. So your second breath beginning is to clamber and, and run after that energy and whoever has it, God help them because you are going to get it. And so in this, they don't mess around. They don't call themselves the good people. They're not kindred. They're not brethren. They're the Wen Kwai. They are the 10,000 demons and they have no compunction is to, to say anything else. It serves in a, in a spiritual hierarchy that they very much have uh, established. Now, getting an understanding that this is all karmic, there's some of the stuff that we're, we're going to kind of pass over because I feel it's a little highbrow for the moment. Uh, and I want to stick to some, some basics here. I figure if we get the basics down, we'll be better off overall moving forward. And what I want to get into is the bodies themselves. Right? Um, second breath you talked about, DJ... And uh, they manifest for the first time in their mortal bodies. I just went over how the inner yang can kind of mess with that, right? Is there anything else you wanted to add to that process? Or do you want to just jump in to how the yin and yang would be reflected once in the body in terms of chi? So they say when it comes to the bodies, especially when it comes to those folks clawing themselves back up from the, uh, the 10,000 hells or so, that it's normally no later than about a two-month period. And they say, well, even... It's hard not to get them back in their bodies, no matter what state of disrepair they're in. And even then, if the body was still cremated, even then there's a possibility they come back. And if they can't come back in their own bodies, there's a very real possibility they might jump into another's. Very rare, but not unheard of. Once again, this is all because you're you're literally clawing your way from like the very worst of the worst. So your willpower is as such that you can make certain things happen. 
Um, so that, that, that was pretty cool to, to read about. What I enjoyed about this is they talk about even cremation doesn't save you. <laughs> right. If, uh, if you're, cause normally you reincarnate inside your own body, especially if it's around. However, if you're cremated or died in a wreck or disintegrate or whatever it is, they believe in something called a twin soul. What, what is that? Your twin soul is uh, what we'll speak about at one point. Actually, we could jump into it as well. It's like your hunt and your poe. The hunt is the rational portion of your soul. It's the, the almost the, if we had to even put it into Western terms, it's what we think consider the, the conscious mind. It is everything that you're thinking about at the moment. It's everything that you comport yourself. It's your civilized mind versus the pole, which is your demon soul, which is your id, your subconscious. Um, and it runs a little bit more rampant. Now, what is the difference between that? Well, one of the things we could tell you is the pole, it would be the analogous version of what you call the beast in the western thing except it's more insidious um and why is it more insidious is because well one that I'll, I'll bring this up to you bob in a moment after i'm done explaining it but it speaks to you it's its own person it's the other portion of your soul that also has a very real sway over what it is you do it's that voice in the back it, it's not even what we normally describe as the itch as much as it is it's the devil on your shoulder that speaks and isn't particularly doing it to destroy you as much as it is to encourage you because it is part of you um, and it's pretty crazy in that regard. And the reason I bring that up and I wanted to speak to you about it, Bob, is because this is what we speak when we talk about the beast and especially the way that we run our games. Um, we talk about how the beast is this one insidious thing that wants to claw itself out, has its own natural and instinctual need. But the way we like to play it is exactly as that, having the voice in the back of your head, right? What, what type of clever thing will your beast do next for it? And this is how we kind of operated on the Western side. But here, for the way this book is written, it clearly tells you that it speaks to you, that it, it's its own living entity um, within you, almost to the point where it almost makes it a separate character. Now, I know why this is. And this, this made a lot of sense to me, and any fan of Wraith gets it as well. I feel right now it is the final piece of evidence where they kind of stuff all the other creatures of the World of Darkness into one book, into one entity, into one representation as the Hungry Dead the Cathayans or the Kwaijin here, the Wen Kwai as they call themselves, all the same thing. Because the Hun and the Poe, they do exist like the Shadow and Wraith. Like, the Shadow and Wraith tries to lead you astray. It's the same concept. It's even mechanically the same as they run it. And when you think of the Beast, though, in Vampire the Masquerade, the player's their own entity. Right? You're just ever pointing out to the Masquerade that if you took away all rules, all attachments, all things to say do or don't, you would morally do whatever it is that it feels good to do it, right? You would commit cannibalism. You would have sex with a relative. You wouldn't care. If they are if they what attracted you or drew you, you would do whatever it was that you wanted to do. But that is truly a hellish entity. Because to have no morals makes you a beast, hence why it's referred to as a beast. And that's why Masquerade has that easily in lock, and most people can agree with it and get behind that, is that concept. But when you have a hun and a poe, this this throws people for a loop. And I wanted to ask you that, though, because it's spelled different. It's it's P with an accent and O. Is is that just Poe? That's how I'm pronouncing it. It's Poe because of uh, the, the apostrophe gets me, well, perhaps my Western tongue is unable to go ahead and do the appropriate pauses and notation for it, but I call it Poe. Well, we call it Poe, but I'm pretty sure Poe is the way to call it. Yeah, because the reader I have pronounces it P-O, and I'm like, that's because it doesn't even know how to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just right it's just going with it right uh so um what would you say though because like the, the poe is often referred to as the demon within right does that make the hun the human side 
That's hard because to call it the human side, to call it the human side, oh man, here's where we start getting a little bit hyper. To call it the human side from the perspective of this makes you think that there's a good and a bad guy. And we have to remove that picture. We spoke about this a little bit earlier. The, the 10,000 demons, they know what they are and what their place is in this world. To call it human would be the worst thing to do it. To call it rational, as it's written, is the most appropriate way of doing it because it's exactly that. It's the rational side of you. It's the, the, the part of you that is conscious enough to make those decisions, um, to pause yourself, for the most part, from doing, from saving. It gives you the ability to save face. It gives you the ability to pause and not take that id action that's, that's holding you back. And now, this is massively intriguing. Because now the Hun and Poe are almost different entities living inside your body. Right? Because the Hun is the rational side. Rational self. Not necessarily side, but self. As, as you were describing. But then the Poe is called demon, but the demon is not necessarily stupid. In fact, it's a malignant entity that is constantly goading you. And trying to get you to do things that would be considered improper. Right? Uh, things that would be uh, shameful. Stuff to bring you down spiritually. And where this comes from, I feel, and I'm just going to take a stab. You spend that time in the 10,000 hells. There is some, there's like a wager. Like, I don't imagine the demon on his throne sits there and says, you know, King Demon sits there and he's like, going, yeah, let him go. He's going to be here a while, let him out. I think it's he knows who he has. And the way the game is played is that karmic debt isn't quite enough yet. And so if you're coming back to, to fulfill that karmic debt, they leave, uh, how do I put this? Um, a vig, right? It's like you're borrowing money from the mob. And they tell you, yeah, you can go ahead and do that. Here's the cash, but here's the here's the hook. Here's what you got to owe us, and every day that goes by that you don't pay us, this gets deeper and deeper and deeper. Except for this, the Poe is actively trying to accrue that debt for you. As if no matter what you do to write the scales, the Poe should be racking it right up. You know, sort of like that uh, that partner who doesn't get money, doesn't grow on trees. And uh, there, there it is. But the hunt is that rational self where you're trying to combat all that. Trying to keep the Poe in check and understand what you have. It's just even still, as I'm telling you this, as we're talking about it, it's it's interesting that creatures with honor and temperance in this game are considered strong with Hun, although they don't refer to it as themselves. Right? They refer to the Hun as the behavior they choose, and the pose the demon tempting them to not have that behavior. Which is where I get like, well, is, is it the same creature then? I would dare say it is. I, I would in the end dare say it is. And it's just a I think it's more of a mechanical aspect in this particular case to do so, but you are the two halves. There is no way to kind of split it apart because if you start viewing your character or if you start viewing this particular uh, creature as, well, the Hun must be the, the best way. It, is, it, it isn't. In fact, having too much Hun is just as bad. And um, one of the dharmas that we'll speak about later, it could also give you the reason why being too rational is a downfall as well. So there has to be equal measure at one point or another. You have to live with the bed you make. So there's yin and yang, right? Death and life. And then there's hun and po, or logic, reason, and instinct, right? Or I won't even say just instinct, just debauchery. Not even evil. You can't even call it that. It's like instinct to bad behavior. So it's interesting how that's lining up. However, when we get done with that, we drop right into dharmas. And dharmas is some way to... uh, How would you describe dharma other than a pursuit of a karmic balance. It is your code of ethics, mechanically. And they actually, you know, this is the reason why it's also a source book, is because it makes a reference saying that dharmas are, they're not even on a one-to-one scale, but they say the closest thing you'll probably come to it is going to be a sabbat path of enlightenment. 
um, and the way that we are used to the hierarchy of sins and how we treat um, our passive enlightenment for, for kindred, this is not that. Uh, this is not that, at least in the one-on-one scale. What makes it different, though, is that you are in a pursuit of something, and it fluctuates up and down. Uh, and this is all concept. It's a fundamental. It's what your character chooses to follow in pursuit of that karmic debt that they feel they have to repay. All right. Uh, that's, uh, that's. I mean, that's straight up what it is. <laughs> it is. <laughs> There's just no, it gets no into the weeds later, but yeah, this is this is the best way of putting it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, about the only distinction I would do is point out here is that if you guys remember, um, it's the only reference we're going to do outside of this, but we'll try to keep the references minimal. Uh, at this point, you remember the 1999 Medusa or Antediluvian waking up? And I talk about those uh, Bodhisattvas and, uh, and Arhats attacking them. This is, this is the source of it. Those high Dharma, kindred of the East are the equivalent of Methuselahs at a certain point because they've lived so long and they have so much power and balance in themselves that they're able to fulfill. Um, well, they're just powerful. It's the best way I can put it by this book standards. But if you need a reference, high Dharma Methuselah is, is what they're getting at when they get into that whole mighty scions of uh, Bodhisattvas and, uh, and Arhats. And uh, that's that's not from that. <laughs> but uh, Quaijin versus Kindred, let's get into the meat of it. Uh, what are some of the differences between the two types uh, that we would recognize, in particular when it comes to aggravated damage? This is about the same. Uh, the only, actually, the only real difference in terms of mechanically, or rather even like structural, is whereas claws, teeth from Shen, um, those natural things that would normally cause aggravated damage are still there. However, interestingly enough, because um, these Quajin are not vampires when they're exposed to sunlight they don't burst into flames they just start to rot and fall apart right that's an interesting thing to to notice that's another distinguishing factor between them it's interesting but it's pointing out that they're dead they're they're dead less than cursed is what i always took from that like that's almost like a like a return to the earth type thing i kind of i kind of dig that nobody knows why that is but it's a good distinction um second thing is the beast right it says, over the centuries, Quaijin have become uh, intimately familiar with their primal, instinctual souls. That's what they're referring to as their Poe. Right, we already been over there if you just if you need to know that. Um, they all have one, but that's going to be about as close to the, to the beast as they get. It's not an unpredictable, savage thing either. It's an enemy they will know very, very well in time. It could be the seducer or someone tries to teach them. Um, always astray, though. It's never, it's never helpful, I should say. Or maybe sometimes it's helpful just to cause a big, a bigger uh, misbehave later on, and it's it's up to them. That's a constant balance. So it's very complex versus the simplicity of yes, I rampaged all over the, I frenzied again and in feeding I killed all this stuff. No, 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 no. This their their poke can set up. Um, like I said, much like Wraith, they could set up quite uh, the conundrum and the problem mm-hmm. for the player um, than they than they ever thought imaginable. Now, where, where that's the beast, the blood bond's interesting. What about that, DJ? The blood bond. Well, the blood bond doesn't exist in the exact same way that it does with Western Kindred. To Western Kindred, it, it's part of their mythology built into the reason why you even pass the curse from one to another. And so, therefore, that blood bond, being able to create ghouls, being able to do it with another vampire, is something that was taught by you know, something outside of the realm of what these um, Eastern Kindred hate to use the term eastern kindred but i guess it's the easiest way of describing it right 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 the the way these eastern kindred because they don't have any blood bonds um 
they have effects that might duplicate the effect of a blood bond, but it's not innate in their blood. It's not something they normally have. And by that same token, we move on to the next one, which is blood points. These creatures don't harbor that, that life in the form of blood within them. What they do harbor is that chi. And so by that token, anything that regards blood points is completely out the window. Um, their reservoir, the, the points that are going to help animate uh, their abilities and powers, um, is all going to be chi-based, of which they have two two spoke wheels. One of them is the yin, one of them is the yan, and you get to draw them in um, any which way you choose, depending, for the most part, upon how you choose to beat off someone, but it, it's there. Um, dharmas. Dharmas is one we spoke about before. And why this is important to note now is there is no such thing as the path of humanity. For creatures that have karmic debts to pay, right? It's they, something. That, they, yeah, go ahead. No, you were. Oh saying no, that. I was just saying it's something that bypasses through it. It's it's a thing that just you said. I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Um, it's such a complaint that people have. It's a silent one too. It's like a player playing a sabak game. They know there are paths to play, but the ST is not certain if they know how to play it or not, or if they even have the book with the info in it. You know, because a lot of folks want to just say I'm an arbor cord or you know whatever. And uh, do they understand it though? Let's get them. Let's get them the material so they can portray it. Where this is saying you need to pick a Dharma, right? You didn't just come back for no reason. You came back and there's a debt to be paid and there's a Dharma to follow. You come back with a purpose built in. And it's more than just the, a vampire's humanity like you would in a Western kindred. It's literally something that you will fulfill that states who you are and how far you, along you are. Um, it's, it's measurable by what you do and how you are behaving. Because no one starts at a high Dharma. No, definitely not. And even those who are on high dharmas have to work hard to get there. Um, but this is, as Bob mentioned, a point of contention because there there is no humanity. There, there is no training wheels or familiarity, even for players, right? And I guess since we're in the deep dive portion of it, this is one of the hardest things to understand. This is one of the bigger major road bumps that you get because you, you can relate to humanity. Any character can relate to humanity. You coming in as a player who doesn't know a system and goes like, okay, well, it's easy to be human. I know what to anticipate. I can take a look at this in a hierarchy. Yeah, okay, well, I know what should be good or what isn't good. To play on a dharma and to understand that these tenets work out differently, and this is an alien mindset that you're already starting to work with, is usually something to overcome. Um, but that that's a huge one because these these uh, kindred east do not, in any way, shape, or form, indulge humanity, um, at least for any extended amount of time, um, to where it becomes a situation. Next thing, I guess, we also end up dealing with is diablery. What does it mean? Well, we know a couple of things. One. Vampires in their quest for more power, and at one point or another, as greedy as they are, those bastards will attempt to, do, you know, take the soul of another because that's what they were taught to do, um, and they know instinctually that this is how you start ascending through the ranks. Not so much within the kindred of the east, and whereas the devouring of the soul is something much more symbolic, it is a measurable power. Um, it does exist just on a different level. In fact. Moving further down the line, we'll explain how the differences lie. But more importantly, for purposes of where we hit it down, diablery mechanically is not going to get you anywhere. You're not going to diablerize the soul of someone lower to go ahead and raise your own gen or lower your own gen. Um, in here, it specifically states that it's much more of a ritualistic thing, um, if it's ever enacted, if at all. And to expunge upon that, having no generation, they're free from what you typically understand as disciplines. Now, they do have disciplines to keep that, uh, I think that's more of a, a keeping label so that fans of, the, you know, the typical masquerade vampires can understand the Kindred of the East. And they keep it in there, but the powers are vastly different. They, they, they're they potent jumps, they're, they're written different, their usage is different, and, and none of it is bad. 
In fact, quite the opposite. A lot of it is, is a power jump than what you're used to seeing, but it takes them forever uh, to learn sometimes because it's more than just, hey, I want it, so I throw XP into it. A lot of times it's having a mentor, and that's its own social strata in uh, their, in Kindred society, in Kindred East society. It's one thing to say that I have a, a teacher to learn from, and that teacher feels I'm ready for power A through Z. It's another thing to say that I am my own, I'm going to go learn this and what I can do with it. When that's going to take a lot longer and a lot more justification as to how your character is almost randomly generating the ability to get this power going. I know what you're thinking. How is that different than the Western Kindred? Well, the Western Kindred, at the very least, have base powers that they can understand and go from. Kindred of the East is quite different. A lot of them are structured, fantastical effects. Um, exceptions being when you get into something like Demon Wind, which is uh, utilizing the demon sheet that the Poe gives you. And this is where the Poe is truly villainous. It's promising you a road to power, because if you don't have anyone to learn from, you can always learn from your Poe. Is what it's almost like saying, rely on me, and I'll show you a world. Right? And that's, that's very dangerous ground to get into. But I adore the discipline usage and the way they roll out for that very reason. The other thing that we're speaking about is the embrace. Well, here's probably the only sympathetic thing you're ever going to hear about regarding Western Kindred. Why? The embrace is is arbitrary. You could be Joe Schmo walking down the block. It could be a spot pack leading a band of shovel heads. It could just be someone that you loved at one point and they couldn't bear to see you go. It's not your fault you got embraced for the most part, right? It's just something that happens because the person who created you, that was their selfishness. Theirs, not yours. However, the kindred of the East the, are not, they're not free of that. Why? Because they brought this upon themselves. There's something that they did in life that they were missing that they had to go ahead and do. Now, I must also point out that one of the things we didn't mention is you could have been a really greedy SOB in life. <laughs> and at one point you just had a heart attack, uh, but you were that dude running sweatshops left and right. You were that guy who was running a prostitution ring, who had his own criminal enterprise, who was probably running an old folks home and he was just skimming off the top continuously. And lo and behold, you went out, but you were given that chance to fix that right. One way or another, the reason you're suffering now is because you somehow were involved and caused it. <laughs> Bob, what do you think about that flip? I, I'd love it. <laughs> I, th- I think that flip uh, puts puts it in perspective uh, very easily. And uh, to highlight that, though, there was something I was reading here that maybe you can shed light on. And uh, it's kind of chopping at the bit at this. Um, well, I'm sorry, let me get rid of one thing. Fangs. Quaijin have no fangs naturally. Uh, though they may sprout them by calling upon their demon energy. You know, by relying on that Poe. And that's a bit of tete-a-tete. Um, their fangs might not be traditional, might be a serrated maw. It just really depends on the uh, kindred here that we're referring to. Um, but the uh, the Quaijin that we're referring to, i got to break myself of that. We both do. Uh, but Final Death is fascinating for Quaijin. Uh, because... Upon final death, their soul exits the corpse, which immediately collapses and crumbles to ash. Alright. How's that different than Western Kindred? Well, the difference is, is that if they die, technically couldn't they have a third breath? They could have a second one? Doesn't that imply it could be more and more and more? Eh, well, if they die unfulfilled for the second time, the Great Cycle will cast them out, and they will meet an oblivion equal to that of the most monstrous specter. That is, uh... That throws me for a loop. Here's why. Oblivion's the end, right? 
Third and Oblivion stand of existence the whole point of it. Equal to that of the most monstrous specters where you sit there and go, does this disimplies I get tormented? I don't just cease to exist. The cycle casts me out I get I get toyed with, and t- I guess until Oblivion's done with me, and then I'm no more. But either way, I don't get to come back. And that's, that's... Playing this just becomes complex in that regard. Kind of a fun thing. There is no other chance that you get. Because I think when you play a, a vampire of uh, the masquerade caliber, there's always that out. I died once, cursed by God, here I am to roam the earth. And whether I do good or bad, if I do good, I probably go to heaven. I do bad, well, I go to hell until I write that wrong or whatever. however long I'm going to be there is how long my punishment is. And I think we all get set in our ways thinking, ah, well, no matter what I do as a vampire, at least there's that. I rather enjoy that it says this here. We gave you a second chance. If in that second chance you tanked it and just decided you're going to run around and be unfulfilled again, well, then you're not meant for second chances. Welcome to Oblivion, cast out of the Great Cycle for all time. You cease to exist, period. Right, and to, to shift that mirror a little bit, let's take a look at that from a Western perspective, right? And Bob, you've seen this in the game as well. Just because you're a vampire and you get ash does not mean it's the end. Especially if you leave a wraith behind or otherwise, you might become Giovanni Potter, but it doesn't mean it's the end. Unless, you know, even even being Diabolized does not mean it's the end. That's probably the only time your soul actually really gets stuck somewhere. To, to highlight this for Kuei Jin... You were already in hell. You you clawed yourself out. So because, once again, we're, we're telling you that you did this to yourself, you were already destined for, for that for that location. There was no escape from it. So you know what the alternative is if you fail one more time. You were given that second breath because you fought your, you earned it by, by dint of your willpower to come back up. But, like, it happens again. You're out. You're out. out. <laughs> like, that mall is going to open up and you're going to go to that dessert. Even worse than the fate that you were supposed to deserve. That's what they're highlighting here. And once again, 10,000 demon folks, uh, this is not a happy story ending for these types of creatures. At all. At all. And it gets even more complex when you look at Frenzy and Roshrek. Now, the pose is real for Kwaijin as a beast is for Kindred, right? So that much we got down. You know, meaning one can control the other half, right? Asian vampires can suffer not only from Frenzy and Roshrek, but can literally be possessed by their Poe souls. So a Kwaijin refers to his normal state of mind as Wa Nature. Just them being themselves. However, when frenzied, he's in the grip of fire nature. And that is the frenzy, as you know. That's that anger-driven frenzy. When maddened with terror, he suffers from the wave nature we would know as Roshrek. And But when the pole rises to control them, uh, that experience is a, is a state of mind known as the shadow nature. And I mean, it directly throws down, you know what I mean? That shadow to wraith right there, that's from the pose and control. There it is. And that's sort of, it's an easy tie-in to, to kind of sink your teeth into. Uh, when you're thinking of these many natures. Uh, why is that? It's got to be quite the complexity to defy death, come back through a hell, to get to your body, to be a vengeful spirit, to go around. But that complexity and power, there's the trade-off. You know, you got a lot of lot of hoops you can jump through or have to jump through just to keep ahead. But even still, generation itself. Where they do not believe themselves to be descended from Cain, the concept of generation doesn't mean anything to them. However, they do measure their power by age and by progress along their dharma. And that is something we said before, which is rehashing now. So you kind of hammer that into yourself there to know. Because this is also where the distinction of, uh, well, a side effect, as they call it directly, uh, there are no clans of Cathayans. Right? They don't group themselves according to that, but they do according to schools and uh, other social structures that they have. And so there are, there are dharmas. 
And uh, those dharmas will determine how they are, much like the Sabbat have their way of being. These also determine and act like clans uh, for them because it's the same school of thought produces the same type of Cathayan, or at least along the same lines. Uh, but what about ghouls, DJ? Does that have anything? Once again, the blood bond is not a thing. And <laughs> because it isn't a thing, we cannot create ghouls. Uh, Quajin cannot create ghouls because it is also, a, and poetically speaking, one of the reasons why, and I think, I have to read this line because it's so good by comparison to like yeah. how Western kindred look at it, right? Quajin cannot create ghouls. It is their karma to bear the curse alone and not to share it with others. How awesome is that? Like when you start putting it into perspective of like the fact you take a look at it, you're still selfish on, on the Western kindred side to be like, all right, uh, you know what? We'll call canines canines and quajin quajins. That'll make it easier. So canines on their particular end, it's all about the blood, right? The blood bond. What can you do to use that corrupting thing within you to share it with others, to bind them to you in one way, shape or another, or even taking a look at what you could do to mortals with it. It's, it's your, <laughs> it's your curse that literally sustains them because once they start getting past their normal life cycle, you're you're literally cursing this this servitor to be to be on your side, and on the Kuei Jin side, it's not for the others to to bear. It's their situation. It's their own path of enlightenment. So it it, it almost paints a picture once again as it did at the beginning of the book to say, oh, these barbaric creatures are there, and like these haughty toddy Kuei Jin are like, no, 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 this is for me. This is not for you. I'll figure it out myself. Um, <laughs> which is kind <laughs> of interesting there, right? Because now we also take a look at what Rukalkanda is. And it's my favorite part. Golkada, as we know it, is uh, the canine way of saying, like, oh, it's, it's the one true way once we reach the total enlightenment. And they're not too wrong for saying it in that particular way, but do they fully under, understand the fundamentals as the Quajin do? Definitely not. It's a bastardization, according to them, as to what it is uh, to be able to reach it. Um, to be able to reach the, the highest of the high, especially walking along your path and understanding what your purpose, um, now being the creature that you are, is. Um, and, and the way that it's kind of being put in there is exactly that. It is the, the highest level of attention given once you reach the end of your path. Um, one of the things that they all speak about is like the imbalance. Um, what does imbalance mean? Now, what we were talking a little bit earlier versus the yin and yang. Now, one of the things about the yin and yang in general was that they mentioned that if you came back more yin aspected at the moment of your second breath, it was because you had too much concentration on yourself you were that selfish person you were that greed lord right or what if you woke up with too much yang then that was just a sign that when you had passed you were just full of desire you were that promiscuous person um not only of the flesh but of everything else you were that glutton you were that person who had moved in in, in different circles to do so um there's how just, it plays go ahead bob there, there's two things here though that i, I want to throw I, I have to bring this up First off is is the ghoul aspect. Going back to that real quick, go ahead. Because it's vampire STDs. This book brings back vampire STDs. <laughs> like brings back. You never heard of it before, but the it talks about a yang aspected vampire coming back can still have contagious diseases because their body was like a petri dish. Right, they died with that much yang that, that those those hidden lurker um, like diseases kind of clung to them. And so when they came back to that body, it's still there. They were feeding on the energy that, that sustained them, slowly breaking down. You come back as this thing that feeds in the energy. You now are walking around with, like, you know, the, the gentleman's drip on crack. I mean, <laughs> I you, was... 
<laughs> I was blown away because when you took Bob, wait, wait a minute, sex is a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. It talks about that, uh, okay, you don't have a gen, you can't create ghouls, it's your own solitary curse, but have too much yang, and the question can become pregnant or impregnate others, and creates what they call damn peers. Right? That's the that's the half-breed vampires that's quite different from ghouls. And uh, that's that's its whole other stigma uh, that, that they'll get into. But that blew my mind. I sat there thinking, I was like, uh, I don't know, man. It's it's there's a lot you can get into, and maybe it's the the immaturity of me when I think of those terms. Like you know, the story starting off that we go back to something out of Vietnam and some sort of terrible thing and happens, and a whole lineage of 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 Kwai Jin and vengeful ghosts. I mean, you, it's a campaign idea. I'll leave it there, but it's it plays with you quite a bit to know that you're a being dead, though life can still come from you. Wow. Wow, that's 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 a heavy concept when you're so focused on a masquerade death, right? Uh, the other shoe that I paused you for a second, I want to move past, was the Golconda aspect and where we get it from. It highlights right here. It doesn't hint. It highlights that Golconda is a misconception from these Kwai Jin following their dharmas. It's that simple. Someone like Cappadocius or Solid may have, and they do that in quotations, may have heard about the pursuit of the dharmas that they have in the East and came seeking these great bodhisattvas that did find their path and found their way and what it was meant to do, but they're riding their karmic wheel. Those guys high up in their dharma found their way of being and know what it is and have have, have righted the scales and they're well on their way to being as they are. Great, powerful people. When these guys come looking, they're trying to get forgiven by God. Right? By finding a path. Like, you could circumvent the curse if you could somehow reconcile what you are. And that makes it more hellish. Like, can you think of any more of a cursed ideal than Golconda when you think of what it did to Cappadocius or what happened to Solid? I I can't. And, like, that just proves... That just proves how misguided canines usually are, right? It's that, That's, like, the ultimate level of selfishness. That is the, the ultimate level of, like, giving God the finger. And being like, I found a way around it. Right, right. As altruistic as you think it is to say to yourself, like, I am at peace. It's not that you're at peace. It's like you cheated the system and you, you, you enabled your own God mode. You, you tried. You tried, right? <laughs> you and tried I'm just like, played. Bob could see, like, my face of shock and wonder right now because I was like, man, those those canites are bastards one way or another. And even something as, like, <laughs> what should be a safe place such as Golconda isn't even that anymore. And and it can't be. There's There's no way it could. And I think for a lot of people, Gokanda was like, well, where'd this come from? Well, you can be that way. But at the same time, no one said it was salvation, right? That it was the way out of immortality. Just simply said, Gokanda has a lot of stink to it. Who knows what it could be? Good luck. You know, and <laughs> move out of here. It's like, uh, it's just people. It's college. <laughs> you know, you're looking for Gokanda. That's cute. You meant Dharma. This is, uh, this is where you're in your PhD. It's good you got your bachelor's though. You know, that's, that's kind of how I feel. It's the same difference. <laughs> Just teasing. Uh, but before we lose step, stake through the heart. Now, can I stake a Kwai Jin? You could attempt to. <laughs> Would it work? Mm. Under certain conditions, the moon must be... No. Uh, to, 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 to bring it back to the center here, um, the Kwai Jin do believe that the heart is the seat of where your chi is pumping out of. At least that's, that's the heart of it all. However, if you are imbalanced, there are certain things that will affect you. Yin-aspected vampires um, do get affected by a wooden stake through the heart. 
Oh, my apologies. A metal stake through the heart. Interesting how that works out. But yet, Yang Aspid vampires are affected by a wooden stake through the heart. Um, and it just goes to show what it is that you, they, you had it right the first <laughs> the first time, right? Because it was the opposite. Right. My apologies. Right. But they, there is, is a, there's a switch. Yeah, it is wood, right? So well, it's wooden and silver. It might help you and everybody listening. Just remember, yin is death. Therefore, what would disrupt it would be life, which is what wood is. Point. Conversely, yang is life. What would disrupt it is death, or in this case, unfeeling, which is what metal does. Maybe I maybe I was the only one thrilled to find that correlation. <laughs> no, I mean, it's enlightening <laughs> enough, right? That's, a, that's one way to remember it. Thank you. You know what? That was a great learning lesson. So me tripping up actually meant you listeners got a chance of being able to find out which one so you don't forget. <laughs> We've been... We've been over the uh, the sunlight, which is cool. Uh, however, sustenance. Now, we've been over this whole thing. They feed on chi. Uh, we mentioned that doesn't necessarily mean that they don't feed on blood. In fact, interestingly enough, there's something called a chi mei. And a chi mei is that first non-sentient, low-form quaijin that comes back from the second breath, right? That's that, uh, that's that state of mind. I think, if I remember correctly, you die, come back in the second breath, and who knows how much time you spend... And that state is a chi mei looking just for chi. But when you look for it, it's very messy for the chi mei because the only chi they know to get is going to be the blood. Right? The blood and flesh they obtain from beings who have either that yin or yang taint of blood. And there we go. That was the important part was flesh was also involved in there. And that's because baby zombie got a baby eat. And what do zombies know how to do? All flesh must be eaten. Not saying otherwise. But <laughs> um, they do, right? And um, what they're talking about there is, yes, do, where do you get chi from? And especially as you start moving up, how do you get chi? You know, baby zombie starts off eating nice and flesh, but as they start growing older and start understanding what they are, blood's the next step up. And then what happens from there? We'll continue to listen and we'll explain that to you. But however, it does mention they do eat food. Uh, they do have the capability of eating food, and especially depending on whether or not they're one way aspected versus another, they could even get drunk. Go figure. That's an interesting thing to look at. Right, to 10 times as much as it used to, but yeah, you can. You can. <laughs> get a little buzz maybe what would kill a normal mortal you would consider a good start that's uh it's quite a lot of alcohol i just want to say uh but we roll from that to virtues and virtues is a question don't possess them right the virtue of conscience self-control and courage they're kind of free of that because there's a different focus there's a different feel right instead they use the two opposed pairs of yin and yang as you know han and po basically all that we've already talked about is the rational versus the irrational. Life versus death. It's a balance that they have to maintain. That you, you should always work to maintain when you're playing a Kwaijin. Um, maybe you choose to roleplay something that's more yin-aspected, but then prepare for yin-aspected problems. Like, they, they get into it. It's a deep end. You know, we'll continue this in another deep dive, but uh, the simple fact is, is that uh, this is just the beginning. This is just us going over those those first differences that, that i don't know some people that threw them off of kindred of the east entirely um for for me and i'd argue to say even yourself there chris this is what made it interesting like these are different beings entirely very much worth going through testing out and seeing what's going on with them however this does bring us to a close for part one of a kindred of the east main book as we went over the uh well just about everything that a lot of people would have had as differences and ways of opinions and hopefully defining a little better uh, to understand uh, what about Kindred of the East is different from a Western vampire and kind of grasping the aspect that, hey, they're new folks. You can't tether them 
to what you knew. You got to now just experience them as they are presented and kind of roll forward. And uh, so we'll see you next week with part two of this deep dive. Uh, Chris, I want to thank you for coming with me on this journey, man. I had plenty of insights today uh, that I loved hearing. Of course, of course. I had a pleasure of being to it, and I'm um, curious to hear what all you folks have to see as well. So join us next time. Uh, thank you, guys. And if, as always, if you have questions or comments that you want to say, reach out to us quarterly. You know how to get us. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you liked what you heard, please reach out and let us know on Twitter at 25 years of VTM at our email info at 25 years VTM.com on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash 25 years VTM or on our website www.25yearsvtm.com If you would like to support us we can be found at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade